Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 19. It has only been two rainy Sundays since we began our sermon series on Elijah. But for Elijah, for Israel, for even Zarephath, it has been three long, dry years. And for all those years, Israel has been in a state of crisis, economically and spiritually. Really, things have been going downhill ever since they split away from the southern kingdom about 60 years earlier. After that, one king after another had come. All of them were wicked. All of them were unfaithful to the Lord. Then along came Ahab, the worst of them all. He worshipped different gods altogether. He married the Phoenician princess Jezebel, who in, in no case could be mistaken for a Proverbs 31 woman. She was plain and simple, the most notoriously wicked, wicked woman in the Bible. Not only did she worship Baal, she had corrupted the nation and forced them to conform to her idolatry. Israel became overrun with the priests of Baal who enjoyed favored status with the queen and they even ate at her table, hundreds of them. But the prophets of the Lord, she systematically hunted down and murdered. It was a tough time for anyone in Israel who feared the Lord, anyone who wanted to be faithful to the Lord in a increasingly corrupt and wicked society. So this passage has a few things to teach us about how to live as Christians in a wicked world. It has a few things to teach us about God's manifold providence in the lives of his people in such times. It also has things to teach us about God's righteous rule, over, even over the kings of the earth. It is a tough time in Israel, but over Israel and over everything else, there is a God who sits on a throne, and he is for his people. So there is comfort here for us in the way that God cares for his people. Let me pray before I read. Lord, we ask that you would give us understanding, that you would give us faith, that we might receive your word the right way, that we might grow from it, that we might fix our hope upon you in every age. In Jesus' name, amen. First Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 19. This is God's word. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. 
And Ahab said to Obadiah, go, throughout, go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned? that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, he's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where, and so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in the cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts, hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Amen. After Jezebel married Ahab, the worship of Baal had become increasingly popular in Israel. Baal was thought of as a very powerful god. He was supposedly the storm god, a god of rain and of fertility. Perhaps, people thought, if they served such a god, things would go well for them economically. Rain means plenty of crops, plenty of water for crops and livestock. Drought, on the other hand, means that you die. Drought means you starve. Everybody needs water. It's, it's basic. It is not optional. There are many things that you have. Water is not optional. There's, not, there's really not much that we truly need. I could lose my wallet. I could lose my phone. I could lose my computer. Those types of things might, might devastate people these days, but they're not necessary. You could even lose your home. Water is necessary. So you can, you can somewhat imagine how absolutely devastating it would be to the entire nation to have three and a half years of complete drought. Crops fail, animals die, trade stops. It had not rained even once. 
No rain, no dew, nothing. Rivers dried up completely. Animals were dying off. And now all of Israel's well-laid economic plans, maybe their five-year plan for the future, had all fallen apart. Marrying a foreign princess was supposed to be good for trade. Serving a fertility god like Baal was supposed to be good for farming. And this is where people wanted to put their trust. And so that is precisely what God took away from them. Baal was supposedly the god of the storm, and so the Lord was going to make it not rain at all to show that Baal has no power, to show that Baal is nothing, and to bring the people back to himself. Now, to be fair, Ahab wasn't serving Baal only. He also worshipped the Lord. His children's name still had the Lord's name in it. He also made the Asherah as well. He wasn't faithful to Baal or the Lord. He worshipped the Asherah as well. So you can see he was a betting man. He liked to hedge his bets. If he worshipped all the gods, then he could have this nice, diversified portfolio of divine security. The problem, though, is that God's law says very clearly, you shall have no other gods before me. That is the first commandment. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And didn't Jesus warn us about this too? He said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. But that is precisely what Ahab was trying to do. Now, is God being greedy when he demands all of our worship, when he demands that we acknowledge no other God but him? What about all the other religions in this world? It doesn't seem very accepting, very open-minded, but the fact of the matter is that everyone in the world should worship the Lord alone because he made everyone in the world. There is no other God. All the other religions are lies. Whether you are a Christian or not, no God has ever helped you in any way except the Lord. He is the only one. He is the one who's given you life. He is the one who sustains you now. He is the one to whom you should owe all your allegiance. We speak of freedom of religion here as if it's a right. It's not. I don't want the government to tell me who to worship, but you don't have freedom of religion. If you worship the wrong God, you go to hell. So God wants all, he wants the best for us, and the best for us is for, to know him. To know him, that's eternal life. To be saved by him, there is no other savior. Everyone else turning to any other religion is, is going to their own destruction. And in love, God calls us to himself alone. When we worship other things, we are committing two errors. We turn away from the only one who can help you at all, the only one who can truly save you, and we're completely wasting our time 
trusting in something that will, that will fail. Jeremiah put it this way, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. But this is not just Ahab's problem. You and I, thankfully, we don't worship Baal, but we are still experts at inventing idols. We can make our relationships our idols, our spouse, our children, our money, our popularity, our looks, our accomplishments, our pleasure, our own self-righteousness, our idols. And sometimes God, in his mercy, takes those idols away from us. Ahab was trusting in the security he thought that he gained from Baal. Rain, wealth, prosperity, and that is exactly what God took away. Don't be surprised if he also takes away something that you felt like you just can't lose. Because if he doesn't, if, if remove our false security from us, we'll, we'll continue to wallow around in sin. We'll continue to put our trust in things that cannot save us, to prop up these, these weak, flimsy, false saviors, and we'll destroy ourselves. We need God to destroy our false saviors so that all our confidence can rest solid on the rock that is Jesus Christ the one who could never fail you, the only one in whom you can be safe. God withholding this rain is an opportunity for the lost in Israel to see the error of their ways and to turn back to God and be restored. God could have just destroyed all of the people, right? He didn't. He brings these, these measures into their lives as mercy, that they might come back to him. But all of this drought had not led Ahab to repentance. Instead of seeking the Lord, we find, we find Ahab seeking two things in this passage. Number one, in verse five, Ahab is seeking grass. Now, the animals are in danger of perishing, so food must be found, it seems reasonable. So King Ahab and Obadiah, his servant, split up to search all in, in all the valleys and all the springs to see if they can find some weeds, looking high and low for it. Isn't that a task fit for a king? Instead of running the government, meeting with leaders from other countries, developing policy, mighty Ahab is looking for grass. Now, how God has a way of humbling even the kings of the earth. He doesn't need an army. He just turns the sky off. And soon enough, everybody is, is wallowing around in the dust trying to find some grass. Now, Ahab might be high above other men, but he is still lower than the rain clouds. And he's still much lower than God, desperately dependent on God's daily provision, just as much as Elijah was, just as much as you are. And this is a comfort for us who believe, knowing that 
No matter who's in in charge in the governments around us, they're not really in charge. God's in charge. This is his world. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to your brother, your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, that should give us great confidence and comfort. The mightiest armies, the mightiest kings are no threat to God. And they never will be. But isn't this also a commentary, a sad commentary, on the hardness of our hearts? Now, Ahab is more willing to go walking all over Israel looking for grass than seeking the Lord. And Matthew Henry pointed out that Ahab was more concerned with dealing with the effects of the drought than the cause of it. Right? Even animals do that much, don't they? They scavenge, constantly searching the land for, for one more meal until they finally pass away. Brothers and sisters, friends, are we no better than that? Are we no better than animals? Do we simply struggle? Our faces always turn to the ground, never considering anything higher. We simply struggle for survival for 70, 80, 90 years, however long, and then that's it. Even the prodigal son was better than that. When he got hungry, he returned to his father. He repented. Brothers and sisters, you were made to know God. You were made for something eternal, something that cannot be found in this world, that cannot be bought on Amazon, something that no one can take away. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the reason, one of the reasons why there was no rain was because the Bible tells me so. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this, Beware lest your hearts be deceived and you turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no more rain. But the way of the, out of this problem was just as clearly revealed in the Bible as well. In 2 Chronicles 7, it tells us uh, the Lord's answer to Solomon after his dedication, prayer of dedication to the temple. This is what God said. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Keep in mind, this is only about 80 years earlier. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If you turn away from the Lord, there will be no more rain. If this happens, turn back to the Lord and there will be rain. The land will be healed. You will be restored. It's all there for Ahab. He knows he shouldn't be surprised at what's happened. He should know the way back. Brothers and sisters, they were made like we are for more 
things than this world seeks. We are called to seek more than grass. We are to seek the Lord. We are to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. But we see here, without God changing our hearts, we are unable to return to him in repentance until the Holy Spirit rains down mercy and grace upon our hearts and changes us. Our hearts are more dry and dusty and dead than the land of Israel in the time of Ahab. Now, the second thing that Ahab has been seeking here is Elijah. Verse 10. You can see that Elijah has spent much of the last three years looking for him. And you can be sure he's not been looking for Elijah to seek some advice. He has not been looking to Elijah to seek God's favor. He is not looking to repent. Because when he finds him, he blames him. Right? No, he is, he is leading an international manhunt for this man as, as we would for a, a notorious terrorist. And he's most likely to kill him. And you can see his attitude towards Elijah in verse 17. Is this you, you troubler of Israel? This is what God, this is what Achan, if you remember him in the story of after Jericho, they lost the battle of Ai because Achan had troubled Israel by stealing from, from God's possessions there in, in Jericho, and God would not let them win. And Achan was called the troubler of Israel. This is what, Elijah, what Ahab calls Elijah and what Elijah calls Ahab. You can see his attitude here. His, this hatred is not merely against Elijah either. It's against all the Lord's prophets. So verse 4 tells us that Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord. They wanted to destroy Elijah too. He just escaped. So here we see his zeal in searching for grass. We see his zeal in searching for Elijah, going threatening all the other nations, saying, swear to me that you do not have him. Now, how unlike King David this was. You remember that back in 2 Samuel, there was another three-year famine, but in the time of King David. There was probably a little bit of rain, at least, but another three-year famine in the time of David. And it says this in 2 Samuel 21, Now there was a famine in the days of David, for three years, year after year. And David sought, it doesn't say grass, but it says David sought the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said, it is for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. And David will go on to inquire, how can he make this right? How can he make, make these wrongs right from the past? And it's a picture of godly repentance and a model for how we ought to respond. But are we more like Ahab? When a drought occurs, do we think it's just science? 
or some freak accident? Do we really believe that God is in control of the weather? Are the storms of life just wasted on us? That we see destructive effects of sin all around us, and yet all the storms and the winds and the, and the droughts can't push our hearts towards God even a little? Brothers and sisters, when God disciplines us, when God puts any trials in our life, let's not waste the opportunity, but rather let it stir up our, our, ourselves to examine ourselves, to seek God and seek His face. Whether things are, are good or things are bad, seek His face. That's the right place to be. David did that. But Ahab was not like David. Ahab was more like Pharaoh. The plagues just made his heart, his heart harder. He sought Elijah not for wisdom, not for repentance, but to destroy him. He sought him, but he could not find him. Still, God had not given up on his people. He would send rain again, as we see at the beginning of our chapter, He's going to send Elijah to Ahab, and he will send rain. That is another scary command for Elijah. Pretty much every time God commands Elijah to do something, it's scary. Here, he sends him straight to Ahab. Ahab has been hunting Elijah to harm him, but Elijah obeys the Lord. He's learned his lesson by now. And this is, this is where we are introduced to Someone else in this story, Obadiah, another servant of the Lord. This is not Obadiah the prophet. This is Obadiah the manager. And we see him here over Ahab's house. And in this way, his position is a little bit like Daniel or Joseph or Nehemiah. He is in a difficult situation. He's a man who we see greatly fears the Lord, but he's stuck serving an evil king. He lives in the king's house, secretly trying to work against the queen. And so this is, this is a dangerous position to be. He's, he's not really straddling the fence. He's being faithful as much as he can in a difficult position. And so we see in Obadiah's case and Elijah's that God's people, God places his people in different places, in different positions in this world. And they are called God to, called to serve God in their own roles respectfully. It doesn't always look the same for every Christian. Elijah is unique. He is in a special role that God has called him to, most of us probably have more in common with Obadiah than with Elijah. We, we serve the Lord, but we are in an evil world with corruption all around us. How do we live that way? How do we respond? In Obadiah's case, you can see how he tried to be a faithful servant to Ahab when he could. But he hid. you also see how he hid and fed and gave water to a hundred prophets in caves against Jezebel's will as well. 
So when we are called to obey our leaders, but never to obey them when that obedience means we must disobey God because he is the highest. God is always to be above, obeyed above all. We see here, too, that God has different roles for his people. He places us in these different positions. Elijah serves God in a more public way sometimes, and sometimes he's nowhere around at all. Elijah, Obadiah, serves God more privately, but I think I might rather be in Elijah's position and just kind of be hanging out in Zarephath getting all the bread and the water you need, all the, all the food you need, you know, rather than constantly living under Ahab and Jezebel's gaze and trying to be faithful. Obadiah has to serve more privately. Both serve the Lord. Both have put their lives on the line to do so, nonetheless. I remember when I was in China the second year after I had been arrested, and the, the threat of being arrested was more on my mind after I went back the second time. And we were teaching lots of evangelists there. Not many men, not many men were being, seemed to be called to serve in China. We were always praying for more guys. I noticed one guy who was there who was not in the class, but I would see him. He was, he was always cooking the food. And so I wanted to speak to him, uh, ask him what he was doing there, why he was there. And he told, I, I said, you know that if the police come in and arrest everybody, they're going to arrest you and torture you just the same as everybody else, as all the evangelists. And he said, I know that. and I can't teach, but I can cook. And so that's how I'm serving the Lord. And that kind of blew me away that he was, he was going on a mission trip, as it were, to serve the church, putting his, his well-being on the line to cook food for other people, not to do something glamorous. God has called us all to different roles. Some of the, sometimes even lowly roles can be life-threatening. That's, that was the case, clearly, with Obadiah. He stayed in his role and the position God put him in. And at his own, threat of his own life, he served and helped the prophets of the Lord. Now, God deals with us in different ways, too. He doesn't just place us in different positions. He deals with his people in different ways. He has protected Elijah miraculously. And through Obadiah, he has also uh, taken care of a hundred of his prophets in uh, not miraculous, but still extraordinary way. But even in this miraculous age of Elijah, the, the odds were a hundred to one that God would, would take care of you in non-miraculous ways. But there is an interesting contrast also between Obadiah and Ahab. Ahab is concerned with saving the horses and the mules. Obadiah saves God's people. And God's mercy is seen there too. Despite Ahab's and Jezebel's war against the Lord, God has been faithful to preserve a remnant. 
And this shows us a little bit of God's power too. He saves his people by the guy who lives in Ahab's house. That God can, can take care of us right under the nose of the wicked. There is no place that is not safe when God wants to take care of you and protect you. But I should also point out another group of people in this passage. God has Elijah in one group. He's been feeding him with birds, feeding him with starving widows for three years. There is also Obadiah, who lives in Ahab's house. He is a servant of the Lord. His situation has been different. Thirdly, there is this group of prophets who have been living in a cave, eating bread and water, hiding from Jezebel. Fourthly, there is another group of prophets who have been murdered. And it's easy for us to put ourselves in the story and assume that God's going to send us ravens to feed us, to put ourselves in Elijah's place. There are, there's more than one place in this story. Not all of them turn out in some amazing deliverance. Many people were put to death. So we cannot look at this passage and say, God will always feed me. God would never let me be killed. There are, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians being killed, I think each year, throughout the world. There are a lot of martyrs. So how do we deal with this? We see God has different, different life planned out for you than for the person sitting next to you. That might be hard to accept, but it's true. God has a unique plan for your life. And sometimes that might involve a miraculous deliverance. Sometimes it might involve some extraordinary deliverance. Sometimes it might mean you're stuck in a cave for years. Sometimes it might mean you're killed. In each of these cases, I want you to see they all suffer. They all have trouble. That's, that's a given if you're a Christian. That is the road that God has put you on in this world, following Christ, taking up your cross, and serving him. But God has also been good in all of these cases. Clearly in Elijah's case, he's taken care of him. He's been good to Obadiah. He's protected him somehow all these years without him being caught. He's been good to the prophets. He's also been good to the prophets who were killed. Their battle is over. Of all the people in this passage, they're the ones having the best day. They're in heaven enjoying a great reward. Now, what about us? What if we are called to suffer like them? Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brothers and sisters, this passage is another example of the struggles that await every Christian and of God's manifold providences in our lives. There will be times when it seems that the world is falling apart and that hope is lost. 
you might wonder why God delivered somebody else, but not you. But with God's, in God's providence and His mercy, hope is never lost. None of the God's people are ever lost, even after they die. God is faithful. He is good. He is sovereign. He preserves His people on earth. And He preserves His people in heaven. Even the grave will obey the Lord Jesus. The clouds must reign at His command. The winds and waves must cease when He tells them to be still. The grave will open up when He tells it to. Our job now is to be like that and to obey Him as well. So let us, brothers and sisters, give Him all our obedience too and thank Him for how He drives our idols away. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that You would help us to put our trust in You in every position. Give us patience in our suffering. We ask, Lord, not that our road would be easy. We ask that You would show grace to us in such a way that You would drive away our sins, that You would drive us to Yourself and keep us there. In Jesus' name, amen.